Hello, and welcome again to Hollywood Grit. This episode of Hollywood Grit is uh, the second episode. Um, we're putting up another part of the interview with Colleen Wainwright, the communicatrix, uh, who wrote a very interesting article about her time as a working actor, during which all of her work was obtained by her for her. She got all her work for herself. None of it came from her agent. And her advice to actors was, focus on getting work, and let the agents come to you. Unfortunately, it uh, turns out that I sort of uh, released part two as episode one. So now I'm releasing part one as episode two. Um, that's just something I have to do. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, as I mentioned in the earlier podcast, which I hope you heard, uh, Hollywood Grit is named Hollywood Grit. For two reasons. One, in the sense of grit, like the John Wayne movie, True Grit. I got the grit to face it. That kind of thing. And also because Hollywood grit is the opposite of Hollywood glamour. And it's actually the reality of Hollywood. I was reading a blog today about the writer's strike. and I saw a post from a screenwriter who said, I'm an award-winning working screenwriter who lives in a $680 a month studio and can't afford a car. It's really not about glamour, it's really about grit. Anyway, before the interview with Colleen, which is a very interesting interview, I'm going to do a brief uh, 10 minute thing on what, you know, obviously the writer's strike is all about the internet. And I have done a lot of work on the internet as a computer programmer, so there's a bit of perspective on that. And hopefully useful perspective. I thought it was interesting, but I wrote it. So, you know, what do I know? Anyway, uh, here it comes. And after that, the interview with Colleen. Enjoy. Hollywood is an incredibly small town. If we use a six degrees of separation model, I am two degrees of separation away from Halle Berry. I know somebody who knows somebody who can call Halle Berry on the phone. I am about two billion degrees of influence away from Halle Berry. Just because I know these people doesn't mean they'll arrange a call with Halle Berry for me. But it illustrates what a tiny, tiny network Hollywood really is. I've been here less than a year. I'm two degrees of separation away from world-famous stars one degree of separation away from terrific actors and screenwriters, and zero degrees of separation away from some other terrific actors and a few working Hollywood professionals. The network is that small. People talk about how do you break in. It's easy to break in. If you want to meet people and work in Hollywood, that's easy to do. It's downright effortless. Getting your foot in the door is easy. Making a sales pitch is easy. Finding people who want to buy is easy. What's difficult is obtaining or creating or becoming what they're looking to buy. It's easy to meet people because everybody is always looking for the new thing. And the new thing is hard to find and harder to make or to be. Good actors always appear natural. So everybody who asks themselves how hard actors must work sees how natural the good ones appear to be and conclude there's no work involved. There's a lot of work involved. Everybody who asks themselves how hard screenwriting must be looks 
at the most predictable, awful movie they've ever seen and decides it must be easy. It's not. In my day job, or more accurately, my existing career, I'm a programmer. I was working in music downloading during the Napster trial. More recently, I was building a streaming video website for Fox and NBC just before the writer's strike. I've never been a key player in any of these things, but I've often been close enough to the action to see a few interesting sites. With the strike going on, it's an interesting question what effect the internet is having and will have on entertainment. The LA Weekly did a pretty interesting article on online agents at UTA or CAA, I forget which, but there's something much, much more interesting in the LA Times. You have to dig for it, but I'm posting the link on the blog for this podcast, which is http colon slash slash hollywoodgrit.blogspot.com. Hollywood Grit is all one word, H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D-G-R-I-T. Anyway. It's an amazing article by Marshall Herskovitz, producer of 30-something in my so-called life. His new series, Quarter Life, started as an online-only thing and was subsequently bought up by NBC to be repackaged. So in this article that he wrote for the LA Times, Mr. Herskovitz explains that the goal of putting the series online isn't to explore new ground or experiment with a new medium. There's just one simple goal creative control. The really amazing bit is where he traces the decline in quality in network television to a serious government mistake decades ago when standards of objectivity in the news were relaxed, bringing us Fox News, and rules preventing monopoly power over broadcast television were also relaxed. These rules had previously stipulated that broadcasters could not own the shows that they broadcast. This isn't true anymore. That's the rule they relaxed. So now broadcasters own the shows, and they exert all kinds of inappropriate creative control. Mr. Herskovitz and his producing partner decided it would be better to reach a smaller audience and get less revenue by putting their shows on the web than it would be to create a series in a crippling environment characterized by corporate creative control. The irony, of course, is that pretty much as soon as they did this, the corporations came to him. The corporations put themselves in an untenable position through an attempt at exploiting people they should respect, and they had to come and ask a favor from the guys who went independent and didn't need them anymore. I think this, more than anything else, is the future of entertainment. As the writer's strike shows, the studios do not respect writers. If you examine the history of Hollywood, you will see that they never have. One thing I've learned from working in technology is that it is always better to be brains in search of money than it is to be money in search of brains. If you're a superstar programmer, companies will do anything to hire you. Up until very recently, the studios and broadcasters had absolute control over what movies and what television would ultimately be seen. With Netflix and YouTube, and especially the ability for anybody to just put up a website, this control has deteriorated into a much, much looser grip. Cameras, video editing software and hardware, and audio equipment have all dropped incredibly in price over the past few decades. The machinery necessary to create movies and television and video entertainment in general 
have all become much, much more accessible. Now the distribution has become more accessible as well. But the ultimate question isn't the accessibility of distribution. The ultimate question is the accessibility of talent. Remember, in Hollywood, it's easy to meet people because everybody knows the next big thing is out there, somewhere, and it'll be incredibly valuable for whoever finds it. The question is, if it becomes easier to create movies and television, will we suddenly see an explosion of next big things? Will the world suddenly turn out to contain infinitely more talent than we had ever guessed? I believe that the answer is both yes and no. Here's why. On the one hand, making compelling entertainment is just plain hard to do. Hollywood is a small town, even though thousands of aspiring actors live in Los Angeles, and 40,000 new scripts are registered with the Writers Guild every year. Why is that? It's a small town, because way fewer people have the ability to do this kind of work than have the desire. So on the one hand, making movies could be easy as hell, and we'd still only want to watch good movies. But the other hand is worth considering. The big intellectual fashion in technology in 2006 was something called the long tail. The long tail refers to a pattern found in graphs for sales on Amazon and rentals on Netflix, and a couple other companies as well. Both Amazon and Netflix make more money off their obscure products and their obscure rentals than they do off their hits. The graphs feature a big spike at the head. Lots of sales or rentals for a very small number of hits, and then a very, very long tail of products which sold in much fewer numbers, or rentals which were rented by much fewer people. Both companies use internet retail models and economies of scale, which make providing obscure products and DVDs very profitable. Netflix and Amazon carry thousands and thousands of things that you'll never find in Walmart or Target or anywhere on Main Street in any town USA. And the interesting thing about the long tail is that nobody really predicted it. Nobody planned ahead for it. It's just that once the machinery existed, to provide people with obscure books, DVDs, and CDs easily, it turned out that there was a ton of demand for these things. So while it remains incredibly hard to make a movie which everyone wants to see, it's probably easier than most people realize to make a movie which some people want to see. And in the context of the internet, it may well be more profitable than people realize as well. So in the final analysis, we could end up with a system very different from the system we have today. Instead of studios and broadcasters which own every detail of everything they fund, we could instead have independent production companies, like Mr. Herskovitz's company, putting stuff on the web directly. This could in fact become normal, and if it does, it'll be a fantastic thing. Creative control will revert to the creative people, where it belongs. I don't want to get into too much business science fiction. I was in the dot-com boom. I know from experience that if a programmer tells you the world is going to change forever overnight, it means the world is going to change gradually over 10 to 20 years or more. But one way or another, the world is going to change. 
In technology, something like this is already happening. It's so easy to create a web application today, and so cheap, that the big losers in technology are the venture capitalists. Venture capitalists are groups of extremely wealthy people who front the money to start new companies and then reap the rewards if those companies become successful. The similarity to the studio system is pretty obvious. Okay, there's my uh, sort of outsider's perspective and uh, economic analysis. Um, anyway, I, I hope you liked it. Um, coming up next is the interview with Colleen Wainwright. Uh, this is actually part one. Um, due to a uh, snafu, I kind of uh, put out part two in episode one. Um, but it's also worth listening to. Anyway, this was recorded in a cafe, so there's a little bit of background noise, but it's very interesting. So I guess uh, without further ado, here we go. So we're officially recording. Great. Okay. So let's see. I guess we should go over this again. Okay. We could so, go over that, absolutely. Okay. This is, uh, let's see, this is your uh, last remaining piece of marketing from yes. your time as an actor. And it is, uh, we'll probably, I'll put like a picture up or something That's fine. so people can see it. It is uh, a picture of you. An extreme um, close-up. Extreme close-up, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, lots of smiling and the glasses and, you know, clearly, you know, this is you, right? And then uh, on the back, your name. Right. And it's set up, a, it's a postcard. Right. right. So the name is the separator between, you know, the, the content and the address. Right. And the thing that you do here is you, you fill it out and you send a thank you note after every audition. Right. That was one of the first pieces of marketing that I did. I think the uh -huh. people, and it's funny because as you know, we were discussing, well, thank you notes are marketing, and absolutely. Any kind right. of written communication is marketing. Marketing really is just a, a form of communication. It's just that, I, that the intent of the communication is to express to other people the essence of you. So if you look at it that way, instead of something like something you're going to sell someone all the time. Right, right. It, it's, it's not less about disgusting. putting up a, a billboard yes. on, you know, on Coenga and, and whatever street we're on, right? Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not about like renting, you know, some space. The Angeline space, right? Right, right. It's, although it's, one can do that, as Angeline has proved. Yeah, yeah, although by that phase, I mean, there are actually people who are renting it for her. Right, right? that's you know, true. And it kind of snowballs. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> right. Which is interesting, too, actually, because, like, after a certain point, right, you know, it's not just, uh, like, you know, Angelina, it's like, uh, it's like the way people wear Nike clothing, right? Like, when this became a fad in the 90s, right, right people were like, well, why are you wearing, you know, corporate stuff, you know, but... Like, after a certain point, like, a brand kind of morphs, right? Like, you know you're a star when your brand has morphed. You know what I mean? Is yeah. that too nerdy to make sense? No, 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 I think it absolutely makes sense. I think that brands in that way, they become, like, personalities, the same way yeah. celebrities do. They go from being people to personalities. And the problem, of course, with that is, as we, you, everyone's noticed, you know, noted with the rise and fall of celebrities is there's a horrible schadenfreude thing that kicks in at a certain point. Like, you can't, right. you can't be too right. big without us kicking you down, and that's part right. of the cycle. Like like Google's thing with don't be evil, right? right? If they do something that is like, you know, just just having business in China and, right. and cooperating with the Chinese government at all gets them like more criticism than Yahoo gets for turning over dissidents. 
course. You know, because they said, don't be evil. Yahoo just said, money. Right. right. And, they, and they built their brand on this, don't be evil. Right, right. Like and they do anything wrong. It's like, whoa. Right. right. Get a little foam on my nose here. That's not, it's a podcast, though, baby. No one yeah, can see Yeah, yeah, okay. No one can see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good video. Right, right. right. Uh, okay, so let's see. Of course, now the, the, the microphone's on. I'm like, you know, trying to figure out what else to say. But okay, so now let's let's do some background. Okay. Okay. So your name is Colleen Wainwright. Yes. All right, and this is uh, the Hollywood Grit podcast, uh, episode one. And Hollywood Grit is both in the sense of like grit, like true grit, like the the John Wayne movies or John Wayne movie, True Grit. And uh, also, there was a comic book called Scud the Disposable Assassin, where they actually had a character called Hank Grit, who was the leader of the Gritites, and they worshipped uh, manliness and unnecessary explosions. And uh, that's kind of obscure. But okay, it's like, that's like completely obscure. It's completely obscure. <laughs> I, I warned you, there was a nerd factor. You, you spotted it before I said anything. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, you know, grit, courage, you know, there, there's... Stones, right? Stones, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... it's, it, it's not like the the magic fairy tale land that you no. can see on TV, no. yeah. and also uh, grit in you know reality, grit as the opposite of glamour. Yeah. And Colleen Wainwright is uh, the communicatrix. 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 Okay. It's like dominatrix, but with communication. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, kind of an edgy. That's a little know. edgy, I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, just going I'm... for clever, but uh, you know, edgy, I'll take it, whatever. Right. 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 Well, you know, um, that, that's a good thing, right? It can be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now, w- what do you do? Right now, what I do primarily like, is... Like, if I go to communicatrix.com... What will you find? Yeah, oh, Lordy, I... that may not be the best place to start. Okay, well, or it could do? be. Uh, no, that, communicatrix.com actually is what I call the mothership, and that is okay. where all... That will lead you to everything else in the communicatrix empire. Okay. It's my blog, and my blog has become a vehicle for me to talk about my life and sort of illuminate parts of my life. Oh, this is so lofty and horrible. But to sort of to look at parts of my life ahead, in, in the hope that yeah, it might be useful is, to someone else. I, I, I have a programming blog, and uh, I mean, literally, like the other day, uh, I went for an interview uh, for a programming job, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy who was the hiring manager mm-hmm. had been reading my blog when the resume arrived in the mail. Right. You know, I mean, the email, right? right. Like it. He's reading it uh, on one window, and my resume pops up in another right. window. And you know, it, it you know, when we talk about marketing, which is you know, we're talking about actively right. marketing, right? Um, it's it's huge, right? Because people are like, oh, this person is an authority, sure. right? And they, you know, I mean, it's the same sort of thing, right? And that's absolutely it. It didn't really start out that way with me trying to be an right. authority. It started out with me trying to find my writing voice. And it's snowballed into other things because I have this bizarre background of copywriter plus actor plus graphic designer, which is what I do most of the time now is graphic design. And then I kind of try to use my writing and copywriting and marketing powers for good and not evil the way I used to back in the old days <laughs> when I was chilling for the man. Chilling for the man. So chilling like writing, man. writing like, uh, like Budweiser ads. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, it wasn't Budweiser. It was uh, Michelob. But yeah, Michelob. it was for okay. the Anheuser-Busch yeah, yeah. company. So. Right, it, it, it all traces back to the same gigantic Zaibatsu. Oh, right? it absolutely does. Right, right. <laughs> cool, cool. So yeah, that's what I do now. 
I don't do any performing at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. I do some performing, but I don't do any acting anymore. Okay. So I said I, my, my line is that I stopped auditioning, which basically meant that I stopped acting. Right, right. They, they do go hand in yeah, hand. Don't for they? most of us, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, so you are a, mostly a graphic designer, but also a former copywriter and also a former actor. Correct. Right. And, you know, a working actor. Yes. Someone, yeah, know, supporting myself, jobs. actually. Yeah. Supporting made a yourself. Oh, okay. yeah. No other now, job but that. Making a living as an actor is that difficult. Is, yes, right. that's correct. I mean, this Absolutely. is what I hear. I don't know from experience. It is true. It's not easy. Well, the, what, there, there's, I think it's, it's almost apocryphal, but there's that statistic about in Screen Actors oh, Guild yeah. 5% yeah. of the actors are making more than $5,000 a year or something like that. And it's really true. It, mm. It's always been difficult to make a living Most as an actor. Most actors don't make their living, their living by acting. acting. And unless you figure out a way, unless you figure out a niche, unless you figure out where you fit in the acting world and focus with laser-like intensity, unless you win the lottery, you're not going to, you know, win the acting lottery, you're not going to make it as an actor. That's just bottom line. You either are, you know, touched by fairy dust, as you said, or you work your butt off very specifically very in a very focused manner. So hard work or winning the lottery. I mean, yes. that's basically it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the, you know, the lottery's great, but the uh, the odds aren't exactly with you. Right, right. Yeah. And there's there's not actually a lot you can do to no. win the lottery except pray. Exactly. Whereas with hard work, there's something you can actually like build a plan. Exactly. I actually wrote something down in anticipation oh, nice. of coming to meet you about this. What was it? It was so brilliant. Now I'm going to have to fumble and find it. Uh, oh, well, first of all, lottery mentality, erase it. Oh, put your time, money, and energy into what you can control and spend minimal time on what you can't. Yeah, exactly. That's really the recipe for success to me, and not to mention sanity. Right, you right. You go insane if you sit there and think longingly of, when am I going to be on right, you know, right. Letterman's when am couch? I when am I going to be? Because there's... <laughs> my sitcom? <laughs> there's all this, you know, um, what do I have to get discovered? How do right. I get lucky and... So yeah, passive. you can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy making. Right, and when you're talking about hard work, you're saying that you identified like a particular, like a niche, like an identity. Yes. And now, now, how do you do that? You sort of look yourself in the mirror and say, "What role do I fit? Like, who do I look like?" Type of thing. I actually, yes, that's definitely part of it. You have to put on your reality glasses, your uh -huh. reality goggles, before you do it. Uh, what I would say is... So, so you don't think, oh, wow, you know, I'm so brilliant, nobody's discovered me. You think, okay, how much do I weigh? Like, how tall am I? Yeah, right? some like, realistic... What color is my hair? Exactly. Okay. Some actual criteria of what's out. You take, you could, one way to do is this. You go to the marketplace, you look at what's out there, uh -huh. and you figure out where you line up in that. I would actually go one step back from there, and with any marketing plan, as with any plan whatsoever, it all starts with a goal. You absolutely okay. have to have a goal. And now, by a goal, you mean something clear and specific. Something clear and specific to work towards. Uh -huh. Now, you know, I mean, we a, all have the goal of like you know winning an Oscar, but there's right. got to be something a little bit more concrete than that. Yes, I would say the goal, and if your goal is winning an Oscar, and again, I would say it should be an actionable it's goal. Right? Yeah, it's an example. So if you if you say I want to be a working actor in. TV. 
I would say then you have to be more specific. I want to be a working actor in TV doing episodics, or I want to be a working actor in TV doing sitcom. Or commercials. Or commercials. Right. You might do and that. And there's a whole range. Exactly. You could do that. You start with one thing. There are other things that become possible once you succeed in that area, but you absolutely have to focus because people just do not have the time to sit there and ponder how wonderful you are and where you might fit into the greater scheme of things. They're busy uh -huh. and, you know, they're looking at thousands upon thousands of headshots and resumes every day. They right, really, right. literally don't have time. And, and it's a combination of two things, right? It's the huge volume of other actors. Correct. And it's the tiny amount of time. Yes. Right? So yes. that, I mean, that combines to like an extremely narrow window. Exactly. You have to like, right there. Exactly. So what you want to do is absolutely maximize the chances that you're going to get in in front of the right people to get the job done. To right. Get, to get your foot in the door to actually show what you can do. So the first now, thing is the goal. You, how do you decide something like that? Like, how do you say, I'm going to be better at episodic comedy than I would be at commercials? Like, how, how do you, you know what I mean? Well, I think there's a couple things. One is, like I said, you put on the reality goggles and you look and see what's um. out there. You look to see what kind of types of people are doing what sorts of things. You do some more research to figure out what else those people have done. It's pretty easy, actually, now in the age of the internet to track people down and figure who they are and figure what was their trajectory. Read up on them in IMDb exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly. You, know, you can get a subscription, a pro subscription for 99 bucks a year, which is the greatest value in town, that will let you know everybody's agent. You can find out who's rep representing whom. I mean, I used to go to SAG and go sit in a room where I had to give them my go driver's license and, yeah, uh -huh, and they would right. hand me the book. Which is kind of a pain that now you can basically do that online. From but the but the truth that. is, I, mean, I think even with the uh, like the enhanced accessibility of the information, right? Probably you're going to find that, that people are not looking it up when oh, yeah. they could. No, absolutely. I, mean, I, I do that. Like you know, I, I am you know for our listeners, you know, I, I told you this, you know this already, but I am a computer programmer by day, right? That's my Clark Kent mode is, uh, you know, writing software, writing web applications, right? So one of the things I find, right, is uh, I'll, I'll be, you know, working with other people and they don't know, you know, like the, the key book on, on this language, which is a brand new language, they've never read it, you right. know? And I, I, I've read at least like 10 books on this right. thing, you know? And including beginner books that, you know, I was frankly beyond, but I would like read them anyway. Right. And I've found that, you know, if programmers aren't going to research programs, right, and these are, you know, nerdy people who are, you know, going to, you know, I mean, if anyone's going to, like, think, how do I solve this problem? Oh, I need a librarian. Right. It, it, you would expect it to it's be a, a programmer. Right. Right. But if you say, you know, okay, I'm going to nerd out for a bit and find out what's really going on, that's probably a, an advantage. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I say, you know, it's crazy packed field out there. You should take every advantage you have. Right, you know? right. It's, it's insane not to, insane especially when they're to. free and just the use of your time. That's you know, that's right. all it takes. One thing I found is it's actually um, it takes some doing to find out where actors have studied. Right, like yeah. when, I, when I saw uh, Monster, mm -hmm. I wanted to find out where Charlize Theron had studied. I, I had to go like you know and search for a while. It's not on Wikipedia. No. If you Google Charlize Theron, you get you know all these pictures of right. her in a bikini, which is you know great, but it's not you know informative in, a, <laughs> in any useful sense. I mean, you already knew that she could put on a bikini and look good. You know, everyone knows that. Right. Right. But like, you know, it, it took some time to Google her. But I'm just talking about like my experience. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> you know, eventually, I found out where she studies. Right. And, da -da -da -da. and you can do that. Yeah. Again, this is, but here's the thing, it's just like, many. I think a lot of actors, frankly, are lazy. 
and it's it's quite possible. I don't know what it is, and I hate to generalize because I know there are some actors out there. Yeah, you don't you don't want to say anything negative, but, but you know it's well, just but possible. it's true. In yeah. my experience, I've I've met a lot of actors who are lazy, and I've met a lot of actors, and okay. it means sometimes picking up some other skills besides acting that might be useful to you, such as. Or it might not seem directly applicable to acting, such okay. as learning how to do a Google search. Now, you right. didn't have to know that as an actor. Well, 10 years ago, there was a Google, but you didn't have to know that before. But now, it really right. behooves you as an actor to learn some of these outside skills. If you're a ninja on the internet, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could have seen Charles' moves there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got to graduate this to a video podcast, know. but, you know. At um, some point in the future. Exactly, but uh, if you get good at that, it just—it's a—it's an am amazing tool to have as the marketing arm of you Inc. the actor. Right, right, because it's—it's it's not like a situation where it's not on a silver platter, no. right? And if you can go out on Google and find all this stuff, that gives you something more. Uh -huh. But so now tell tell me like how you did it. Like, is that the first phase, or is that something you thought of along the way? Like, well, that's definitely something I thought of along the way. Okay. Because remember. I am old. <laughs> there was no internet. <laughs> there was an internet, but it was not. Co Colleen is actually incredibly ancient by acting I standards. Am. She, uh, I mean, she can drive. She can vote. <laughs> <It's>, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you how ancient she, I am. She came in here with a walker. I did. Yeah. It's okay. a really nicely colored, brightly colored walker. But uh, yeah, there's some style to it. Yeah, it's right, modded right. out. But um, no, I was 33 when I started acting, which is oh, old wow. for an actor. Old. That's actually, yeah, I am 33. Not so yeah. bad for oh, I shouldn't say a male that. <laughs> actor, but very bad for a female actor, at least in the eyes of Hollywood. But I'm actually 24. I just, <laughs> anyway. I play 22 to 32. Right, right. As that's right. what we say. Um, so I started late, and, you know, I'm 46 now. Uh -huh. I started a long time ago. The internet really wasn't, I mean, it sure, was a viable it thing back then. Right. But, so but contrary to like you know people say you can't get in and, you know unless you're 20. Oh that's right? bullshit. It's total Sorry, bullshit. Sorry, are we allowed to swear on the podcast? I don't okay. give a shit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> Fair enough. It's um, podcast. You know? Exactly. Uh, yes, you can start at any time. You will have less opportunities. I'll be frank with you in certain uh, categories. Yeah. I mean, if you're starting as a woman and you're 38 years old and you don't have any credits, it's gonna be a uh, Right. It's not going to be easy, but of course you can do it. If it's your passion, I believe you should. It's just don't quit your day, day job. Right, Be right. frugal with your money. Be prudent with the, the things you do. Seems cetera, like saving money is another important Saving skill. money is huge. Yeah, huge. The, the, right. the more you can do for less or colossal. nothing, it's colossal. <laughs> the better off you are because yeah. you need, I mean, part of my secret to being able to live, you know, support myself was to keep my overhead low. I wasn't, mm -hmm. even when I would have big money years, mm -hmm. I'd keep my actual spending down to the low money years, and that right, helped me right. ride out the, the lean time. So you, you get, you get like some, you know, you strike it rich, you get, uh, you know, oh my God, I'm a series car, whatever, whatever. Wow. Yeah. You, you don't suddenly go and like, you know, rent a much bigger house. Oh no. What you do is you stay exactly where exactly. you are, you put it in the bank because, exactly. you know, the next year it could be lean or there could be a right. strike. You'd be like, oh shit, what do I do? The, mo yeah. the, the successful working actors that I know, and again, I've met a lot of them because I've been around so long, mm. the ones who really make over the long haul are really quite pedestrian in their lifestyles and tastes. They're uh -huh. not out there living it up with their shirts unbuttoned down and their navels and partying with, you know, Britney Spears running around the, like, you know, exactly. limos and coke and all they that stuff. They have mortgages, they have cars that they own and they've owned for a long time. 
there. It, it takes a very modest practicality. Yes, yes. you have right. to be a really level-headed business person if you're going to make it for the long haul. Because mostly, most of us realistically are going to be rank and file actors, and that's great. Right. I mean, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. There's, yeah, just the sheer numbers. Right. Right. Uh, but but yes, you're not. I mean, fantastic if you win the lottery, great. But please don't count on it, and you know, just prepare yourself. Right. Don't be right. an idiot. You don't want to be don't, out there pushing a shopping cart. Good rule. No, don't be an idiot. So but to get back to your uh, original mm. question, when I started, what I did was I identified what it was I wanted to do, which was basically become an actor, because I had no mm. real acting experience when I started. So, well, how am I going to become an actor? I needed to take acting classes. I mean, literally, that was the first step. Well, I don't know how to act. I got lucky. I'd been, it was in the Crownlings. Mm. And I got lucky. I wound up getting a few parts. Yeah, I read of that. about that. I read about that on your site. And yes. that, that's actually that's. Uh, let's take like a short like sure. uh, tangent there. Okay. Um, because the groundlings is something that you know you have to audition. You know, it's pe people like get on waiting lists. They, yes. They work really really hard, and yes. it, it sort of sounds like you kind of wandered in and like. It was oh, like a. It, I yeah, mean, like a fluke. Like it was whoa. almost like a fluke. Now remember, I had a lot oh. of writing experience, and I copy. It was a copywriter. I was quick on my feet and a big ham. Mm -hmm. and that'll take you a long way. That right. plus passion and, the, and willingness to help and be, you know, have a good time will take you a long way. Ulti I mean, I wish I had known going in more about the politics of the sure, institution sure. and all that. But again, this was before, this was just as things were starting to break big for Groundlings and they had a lot of famous people already, but this was before the Will Ferrell going okay. wide. That's right. when I got in. In fact, he got the gig on SNL and Cherry O'Terry and all those people. They all made it in when I was in the Sunday Company, I think. So when I got in, the waiting lists weren't as long. Okay. They were not as long, and it was not as arduous. I think I made it through beginning to end, including my six months in the Sunday Company, mm -hmm. in a year and a half. But it was still kind of considered a feeding ground for, you know, it was like a farm oh, absolutely. team. Right? It absolutely. It's like, absolutely. It's a know, farm team for the majors. It's how, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the training ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because... They find, they find you find a few good people somewhere out there, and they all congregate in a place. And you're Lauren Michaels. Well, where are you going to go back to? You're going to go right. back to the same, you know, well-stocked pond. <laughs> you fish there first. Right, right. You're crazy not to, though. Right, not the only. Alternatively, way. you're just like, you know, hi, are you funny? Oh, exactly. Hi, are you funny? Right. 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 So it was a natural kind of funny ham. I like. I was prolific writer. I wrote like a crazy person the entire mm. time I was there. I mean, I was always, I think I brought in, there's only one person who brought in more sketches probably than I did, and he was, he was, he'd been doing it for 10 years, so yeah, but he did have a leg up on me. But what I found at the end of it, when I got the boot from there, was that I was funny and fast, and I could do sketches and wigs and glasses, but I really wasn't a good uh, actor. An actor. No. Right, right. And that was a long haul, learning how to do that. So there was a good now, now, funny but right. unable to act, that won't sink you. I mean, no. Seinfeld got a lot out of it. No, but remember, he was a stand-up for yeah. 15 years or something before right. he got right. the show. And he did actually pick up quite a bit over yes. the years. I mean, it's funny because you better. can watch it, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you see in the first seasons where he's oh. just, he's cracking right. up on his own jokes, yeah. right? And then by, the, like, the like the seventh season on, he's just, you yeah. know, whoosh. Yeah, yeah he really course. did. Yeah. He, he worked incredibly hard on that, I thought, and I... Yeah. People are always hammering him for not being a great actor. I'm like, well, that wasn't the point. Yeah. yeah. He well, surrounded I, himself with good actors, so he didn't have to do that. Right. And I think, uh, actually, like, he turned into a good actor because he was surrounded with some right. good ones. And because he worked at it. Yeah. You know? and because it some of it was osmosis, but some of it, I'm sure, was working at it. Yeah. Well, I just mean, like, if you were, like, if you were going to design, like, an ideal workshop. Right. 
you might say, okay, I'll have you know Jason Alexander, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and uh, Richard uh, Michaels. Oh no, Michael Richards. Michael Richards, yeah. yeah. Which forget. you know, obviously, you know, he uh, you know got himself in trouble by being a bit of an idiot, but you yeah. know, his character was incredible. Yes. I mean, he definitely, you know, he definitely learned something from that. Yes. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a great way to learn. Right. Okay. Um, so you, you know, you said I need to learn how to act. Step right. one, I gotta go to get acting. Classes. Well, there were concurrent things happening. One okay. was I had long-term goal, of course, being a huge star and winning an Oscar. Right. 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 <laughs> of course, like everybody it's does. Like on the to-do list. Exactly. Right. Win Oscar. Win Oscar. Pick up laundry. <laughs> right. 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 Achieve love from parents I never did. Um, right. Right. Really all that sort of stuff. But uh, no. World peace. <laughs> World peace. Right. I almost. I came so close. Um, so that was one thing on there, but I realized that I, the intermediary step was I really wanted to be on a sitcom or a TV show or acting regularly in movies, to have that sort of working man, you know, working class actor lifestyle, journeyman actor. And so I was going to need to get skilled in just how to do it, how to you know, do it on cue, how to you know, play different parts, how to break down a script. I didn't know anything when I started, so I took, I'm going to actually write my next column on this, I wrote, I, I took like some of the worst acting classes I mean, uh-huh. it was nightmarishly bad, but I had no idea they were bad because uh-huh. I had nothing to compare them to. And there were some good that, people in them. That's why I was Googling, like, you know, should they throw in yeah, all I these know, people? Yeah, trying to find the good ones. Yeah, trying to find the good ones is a challenge because there's so many acting classes uh, in yeah. Los Angeles. Oh, man. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, so go ahead. So you went through a bunch of bad, so I, bad classes. I did that and I found, you started found to find the good, good ones. ones. And along the way, you do learn, even in the bad classes, sometimes you learn something and you learn uh-huh. by doing. I started doing. I mean, I'd get that backstage quest every week and submit for everything even close to my range. Uh-huh. And I, I was in more terrible student films and some few good ones, but mostly just, mostly it was just you racking up experience about what not to do or what kind of people not to work with or how to trust your instincts when you walk into a room and things like that. And but, how to develop those instincts. Exactly. So, but I was in student films. I was in, I joined a theater company because uh-huh. I knew I needed to be working as much as I could. I right. tried out for other plays. I did tons of crummy plays. Not at my theater company because we did good plays. <laughs> but I couldn't get cast a lot of times right. at my theater company because right. okay. I wasn't good enough for okay. big parts. So I would get these tiny parts and I'd just work like crazy. So it was all these things concurrently. And then I also set up a marketing plan and I also realized, hey, I'm not stupid. I've been in advertising all these years. I'll bet you I could be in commercials fairly easily. Right, and right. So I you kind of knew what it was like from the other side of that. Exactly, and that did make it a lot easier, and that's where I hit first. So. Now you were saying, oh well, that's where you hit first. Oh yeah, yeah. because I mean, I had—I should say it's the only place I ever really hit because I did theater work and I did TV and film work, but I never—that never took off. Okay. I mean, theater always was in the pocket there, but commercials are how I made my money, and that's how I—that's where I worked so, consistently, solidly over the years. Now, when you say you want, you need to target a specific niche, is is part is part of that because you know there's going to be a tight knit community around commercials, which is different from the tight knit community around TV, and or, or is it more that auditioning for commercials is different from auditioning for TV? Um, I think it's both. I would actually say your niche begins with your type. Your type. The types of roles you think that you could reasonably so, be cast in. Okay, so and you may it's, find it's a lot it, of it is you know who you are. Exactly. So you may find because people clearly, obviously, actors do want to work and do work across media. Right. But you just may find one is you work best in thirty second 
chunk. Sure, so sure. you may find that you're just perfect for you know episodic because the camera can get in tight on you and it works. Or you may find that you're the way you're acting is very quirky and it only works in film. Or you, you may it'll find you. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Your job is when you start is to figure out who am I? Am I the, you know the quirky funny friend? who always wants to get the guy, I mean, come up with this, your archetype. Right, right. And then work it. And then figure out across the board, how does that person look as a business person if they can? How does that person look in this situation, in this situation, in this situation? So every single thing you go out for, you're always bringing you to it, but you're dressing appropriately and you're behaving appropriately and you understand how that person would work in these various contexts. And it's not that you're abandoning the idea of range. It's no. just you work on range in class. Yes. You, you hammer what you're good at when yes. you're going on auditions. It's I, the way to look at it to me is it's the wedge. It's the okay. foot in the door. It's the way in. So right. if, if you look at it as a big triangle, and now I'm making my hands like a big triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. take that that narrow point is that type. Okay. And then beyond that are all the things you can do because you, Giles, you know you look like. You look like oh, a, well, it was your type where's my to type? me. Where's my type? You're like a total commercial dad look. I mean, you look like commercial a, dad. More like a like the friend, like the, the funny, okay, the fun okay. friend, the yeah, you know, the I'm everyday Joe sure, sure, kind of okay. guy. You know, you look, you're friendly. You're not, but of course now I'm making silly faces. Exactly, uh, the listeners will have to imagine. See. Yeah, okay. But they're so great. I wish you were all here. Um, well, we'll go to. I'll, I'll graduate this to video at some point and bring you back. Okay, and, and we'll do a demonstration. Yeah, or, or some new angle. But yeah, go ahead. But I think that that to me would be your basic type. Now, you can exploit that way down the road by being the guy who looks like a just a fun-loving, nice you know, guy. And then I do it turns like out a, to be an axe murderer. Movie. Exactly. Right, the, the serial killer. And, there, and it can be incredibly and effective I, to work against. I can against totally type. think of, uh, of examples, right? Like uh, if you look at uh, Bruce Willis, right? Yes. He started off. Yes. You know, everyone thinks Bruce Willis. Right. Action hero, right? right? Tough guy. Right? What did he start off doing? Very witty comedy on TV, right? right? So there is that, you right. know, he, he, the, the, okay, now I'm doing the triangle, but, you know, the point <laughs> is like the, the, the entry point of the wedge was the comedy, right. but he was able to leverage that to get uh, sure. parts that were a little outside his type, which then, you know, snowballed. Right. right. I mean, there's a fine tradition of actors, you know, being. Look, it usually works the way where they're friendly, they're like the real happy-go-lucky, whatever, and they wind up playing like their their killers, opposites, or, you know, right, their, right. their dark side, their shadow side, and right. that can be incredibly effective. Um, like, you know, basically, you know, it, it's take a lot Jimmy Stewart or Gary that, Cooper right. and make them evil. You know, yeah, yeah. people are like, well, Jimmy Stewart or Gary Cooper can't be evil, but they could be, that can type can be used effectively. It, that it's way. a lot easier to do that than something where, like, you know, the the bubbly blonde turns out to be a criminal mastermind. Right. You know, for some reason, it's just easier to buy the scary transition than the, you know, you know what I mean. Well, I think part of that is... Um, well, I guess that's kind of scary, too, but I in think, a different way. I think it actually can be done. I, I, I honestly think that those kinds of parts aren't written. Yeah, they aren't. They I mean, that's still very male-oriented uh, business, it is. so it is, yeah. that's, that's just a sad reality. That's something Joss Whedon would do. Would, uh, yeah. There you go. And probably quite well. And very effective. I, I was hoping to, to find him. Uh, and, well, there's something that I told you I wouldn't talk about, which is uh, it rhymes with fighter's pipe. Uh, and I was over uh, at the Fox Studios. Oh. Uh, yeah, there was supposed to be a rally for this thing that I won't mention. This hoot nanny. <laughs> this hoot nanny. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's picking up the espresso noise. Anyway. Um, okay, let's see. So, do you want to talk about maybe some specific things people can actually, actually do? Or? Well, let, let me roll back a second because okay. one of the things you did that um, I think is probably going to be somewhat unusual. Right um, for an actor starting out, is you mm -hmm. said, okay, 
I'm going to have to create a marketing plan. Right. And this is because you came from the world of advertising. Right. right? I think I think that's something that a lot of uh, actors would not say. And yet I think it's it's common sense. I mean, I worked in advertising a tiny smidgen, like during the uh, the whole like uh, like Wired magazine years, you know, right. when like the internet was starting. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what did you say at that time? Like, what was your initial idea? My initial idea was this: I need to get myself in front of them. How do I do it? Okay. So there were a number of different, you know, I had all these different tacks that I was taking, and they were simultaneous, but I would weight them. Like, okay, what's the most important, and how much time am I going to allocate to each of these? So, for example, one thing that I knew I had to do was get all my marketing materials in order, okay. which was get great headshots, which is, believe me, if you're new to this, an ongoing That's, process. Yeah. <laughs> it is not, unless you're, again, regrettably lucky, it doesn't happen the first time around. Uh-huh. But to get... All my all terrific marketing materials in order, and that meant headshots, that meant for me postcards because I wanted to have some way to follow up, and then and, and that's a very that's a very key thing. I I actually got a, a thank you note from one of my uh, scene partners in acting class. And I kind of had mixed feelings about it because it was it was very gracious and at the same time it felt very silly. But I think if I got one of these as a thank you note, um, again, it might be overkill, but again, I might really like it. You know what a I mean? A postcard is, and to me, a little bit easier because, A, they don't have to open it. They can right. get a million pieces of mail a day. They do not want to be opening your damn envelope. You just pick envelope. it up and flip it over. Oh, she's saying thank you. Right. How nice of her. Boom. Done. Exactly. Right. And you might pin it on your wall, and some of them did. Or you might toss it you in the recycle sh- bin. Fine. Know. doesn't matter. It's really, it's oh, as we call them, okay. it's an impression. Right. You know, it takes right. however many impressions for someone to remember you. And you also never know. Sometimes it's the last image in your mind. That's the person who gets called right. on the phone. Like, I, want the, I need a so-and-so type. Well, wait a minute. Who's this? It, it, that yeah. does happen. And it's good. the chances and, and of it happening are too, better. Like, a lot of these things, right, they make more of an impression than you realize. Yes. Right? Because I, I got an email. It's startling sometimes when you find out what an impression it makes on people. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, how do you mean startling? Well, like I said, when I walked into that casting director's office, it was, it was a friend of mine, and my picture was up on her wall. I was shocked at that. I mean, I literally thought people would see that thing and it would go right in the bin if it uh-huh. even made it to the casting director. Because remember, their mail is screened by Filtered. their right. by associates their assistants. and assistants. You know, it's like there's, there's, some of them have it's handled by two people before, if, before, before it, it even them. gets to them, right? Because right. they know that everyone, exactly. every, all these actors are trying to make an impression, right. and they're not trying to have impressions made right. on them. They're trying to get through their day and right. get something done. Here's another example. One okay. time. I, and I never knew this until after the fact, because he didn't write me back, but uh, a reviewer for the, a critic for Backstage West had written a very nice review, just, and not even like, it was very nice about me, said a nice thing about me, but it was good about the show, but it was just thoughtful. I thought it was a good critique of the show, so I wrote him a letter saying thank you. I'm just, and just sent it off to him, and thank you, and I appreciate it, I like what you had to say, well, well, he came, I was bartending one time at, I, at the theater, and he came up to me and says, you don't know me, and I'm like, <laughs> well, that's correct. <laughs> but he said, I'm so-and-so, and this is, you know, I, I, you sent me a letter, and I've never forgotten it. Uh-huh. And this was like years later, and we've actually maintained a friendship because of this, me doing this one thing. It can happen like that. Really? Uh, Bonnie Gillespie, the casting oh, director, yeah, yeah. that's she does how a we, column. yes, and she'd been doing a co- column for years in Backstage West, and I finally just wrote her, because I, I, I so appreciated her doing this column. I get, got so much great information. You know, about these casting directors. Uh, let me just, uh, like, here's a footnote, because uh, Bonnie Gillespie is actually 
kind of the inspiration of this, uh, oh, this really? podcast. Yeah, well, one, one of, you know. Uh-huh. Um, because I know that her books uh, were inspired by, she wanted to, uh, she, she was an actor, mm-hmm. and she wanted to get into casting. Mm-hmm. And what she did is she interviewed every casting director she could, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, became an expert in casting in the mm-hmm. process, and got a job as a casting director. And, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, not only is that a great way to do it, but it's a very interesting path, you know, I mean, it's, it's very useful, like, to think strategically about, like, you know, I want to do something I've never done before, you know, it's entirely possible I could turn out to hate it, so what's something I can do that, you know, Sort of a way in, give me a little taste. And, and, but also which gives you a foundation which is useful either way. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, these... This podcast is going to be valuable for other people, for sure, and we for hope. me. You know, no, it is. Right. I mean, if someone finds it, right. you know, that's the key. If someone finds it, but I'm sure there's someone out here in the world who, you know, oh, I never thought of that. I need to make a marketing plan. Right. Right. But yeah, Bonnie Gillespie. You know. So she's terrific, and I've written her. And again, we want to becoming friends because of we had mutual because connections. Because of a similar thing. Okay. Uh, because we had other connections. But years later, and I mean, this I'm talking, we've known each other now for years, and I changed emails, and I did her logo for her, and logo, I mean, all this sort of stuff, and, you know, we hang out. Uh, and, and as an aside one day, she said, I never, I never forgot that letter you sent us. And I had forgotten, like, what letter? What are you talking about? And, and this was quite some time after you guys Way had developed after, the friendship. But it just goes So you really, this is like an example of startling. It, I was startled. I was astonished. Okay. Less astonished for the, to the, uh, the critic because, you know, we hadn't had that much contact or whatever and yada, yada, yada. But for Bonnie, it was like, it had made such an impression and I had literally forgotten about it because it's not like I hang on to these things. It's like, I have a great thought, I let it go. Sure, sure. Bye-bye. You, the next you're thing. not going to, like, pull out your stack of letters to casting directors. Well, this is weird. And this was up. my best thank you note yeah, ever. How great is <laughs> I think I'm going to write it again. So right. creepy. So yeah, pop-kitty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look it up. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> use the internet. So, uh, yeah, so that really was startling. And I think, you know, it speaks to the internet culture we have right now. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. I think it's wonderful and saved right. a lot of trees and it's made communication a lot easier. But there are some cases when just stepping outside of that normal everyday routine does yeah. it. Yeah. really does the job. And, and I think also, you know, it's, it's very valuable to remember, right, if you're, like, trying to become an actor, mm-hmm. right, you are not alone, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, if someone takes the time to, you know, help you in any way, like, sending them a thank you note is actually a very sensible thing. I was, yeah. well, it's, I, it's, it's certainly it's, sensible. I did it because I was taught, honestly, that that's yeah. the gracious thing to do is to say right. thank you. And I was incredibly grateful every audition, especially because a lot of them wound up paying my rent, ah, I, yeah. you know, eventually. That's something to be grateful for, Very too. grateful, and I kind of felt like it's a way of paying it, pay, just like... Paying it forward. Paying it forward. Like, it's not really paying it forward, though, but it's, it's really just it's acknowledging the between. Gift. Yeah, it's a cross between paying it forward and good karma. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, a good karma. Yeah, it's like... Okay, one final thing. After I recorded this podcast, there showed up on unitedhollywood.com a set of links basically all arguing the same thing that I argued earlier in the, uh, the whole idea that I was talking about with, uh, with Quarter Life, Marshall Briskovitz. Uh, so I'm going to put the link to that on the blog uh, for this podcast, and that's hollywoodgrit.blogspot.com. If you're listening to the podcast on iTunes on your computer, 
can actually just click the link, and yeah, I'm assuming you're connected to the internet, it'll just go um, to the web page. But if not, um, go to uh, the URL, and I'll spell it Hollywood, G R I T, all one word, dot blogspot, B L O G S P O T, all one word, dot com. And uh, if you search for episode two, it'll be on the first page, but if you're discovering this after a year or something, you're curious for some reason, uh, searching will find it. But yeah, go there, and you'll find a link to the, the post on United Hollywood, which is a link to like five different posts that were all about this same idea. So I think when that many people have noticed the same thing, it's, it's a really good sign. It makes me feel like I must have been on to something. So that is the podcast, and uh, my name is Giles Boquette. This has been Hollywood Grit. The logo for Hollywood Grit is by Eva Zebra from Flickr, and uh, all the music used on the podcast is by me. And here's a little sort of mellow, experimental, techno-ambient mood music. And uh, until next time, uh, thanks for listening.
she said, she gave me another hamburger. It's wrong. I said four times. I said, I want it. She goes, can you go out and park in front? I said, no, I want my hamburger right. So then the, the lady came to the manager, she, or whatever, whoever she is, she came up and she said, um, she said, um, do you want your money back? And I said, no, I want my hamburger. My kids are hungry and I have to jump on the toll freeway. I said, I am not leaving this spot. And I said, I will call the police because I want my Western burger done right. Now, is that so hard? Okay, what exactly is it you want us to do for you? I send the officers down here. I want, I want them to make me like... Ma'am, we're not going to go down there and enforce your Western bacon cheeseburger. What am I supposed to do? This is, this is between you and the manager. We're not going to go enforce how to make a hamburger. That's not, that's not a criminal issue. There, there, there's nothing criminal so I just there. Stand here. So I just sit here and you, you need to calmly and rationally speak to the manager and figure out what to do between you. She did come up and I said, can I please have my Western burger? She, she said, I'm not dealing with it. She walked away. Cause, because they're mopping the floor and it's awful as said. And they don't want to run. They don't want to go through there. And, and, and ma'am, then I suggest you get your money back and go somewhere else. This, 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 is, this is not a criminal issue. We can't go out there and, and make them make you a cheeseburger the way you want it. Well, that is, that, you're supposed to be here to protect me. Well, what are we protecting you from, a wrong cheeseburger? No. Is it just like, is this a harmful cheeseburger or something? I don't understand what you want us to do. Well, just come down here. I'm, I'm not leaving. No, ma'am, I'm not sending the deputies down there over a cheeseburger. You need to go in there and act like an adult and either get your I money back and go home. I'm not acting like an adult herself. I'm sitting here in my car. I just want them to make my kid a, a, a Western burger. Yeah, this is what I suggest. I suggest you get your money back from the manager and you go on your way home. Okay. Okay? Bye-bye. Okay. Nope.